the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed. And hour number two is underway now. Minutes past 10 o'clock, right on time on a Tuesday. It's the 13th morning of the seventh month of the year of our Lord, 2021. Thanks again to Konstantin Pavlotsky, uh, who joined us last half hour. Tremendous story to tell. He's, uh, you heard him. He came to the United States directly from the Soviet Union in 1989, became a citizen in 1995, and now is sounding the alarm to anybody and everybody who is romanticizing the idea of socialism or communism here in the United States. And this, of course, comes uh, as uh, the people of Cuba continue to protest and try to fight for the liberty that we enjoy in the United States. Let's uh, bring Peter Kersenow back onto the program now. Peter Kersenow, of course, is our regular Tuesday guest. He is uh, a member of the United States Commission on Civil Rights. He is a Cleveland attorney. He's a best-selling author. He's a columnist. He hosts the Kersenow Report, and he is also a fill-in on the Bob France Authority. Peter Kersenow, good morning, my friend. How are you? Doing great, Bob. Could you use more sunshine, though? We're in the middle of July, and it seems to be raining almost every day, cloudy. It's a little depressing here. We need some sun. It's summertime. Yeah, you're right. It's been a little bit of a cloudy week. Uh, but uh, you know what? If that's the only thing we have to deal with compared to what the people of Cuba are dealing with, Pete, I'll, I'll deal with a little overcast sky. Uh, <laughs> they've, got, <laughs> they've got overcast lives that they're suffering through there. Pete, I know you uh, have some strong thoughts on this. and I, I just spoke, Peter Kirsten, now with... Um, uh, a gentleman, he's he's a dentist, actually, in Mayfield Heights. His name is Constantine, and I met him at a speaking engagement. Um, it might have been the same one you're speaking at tomorrow. You're, you're speaking to the uh, Eastside GOP tomorrow night, right? Uh, you know, I have to look at my schedule. I can't remember. <laughs> okay, you are. I've got your schedule. If you tell me, I you. am. I am. Okay. You, yeah. <laughs> the only reason I know is because one of the uh, one of the leaders of that group asked me if I would remind listeners that you're going to be there, so they can have as many people as possible come to hear you. So uh, I spoke at that very same group last uh, last month, I believe it was, and uh, I met this gentleman, 
uh, and again, he's a Russian uh, uh, by birth, and he's an American citizen now, and he is sounding the alarm on you know what people are doing here in the United States. The American left seems to think that you know communism uh, and and uh, you know the the an end to private property, Marxism, all of the things that we know, the hallmarks of of those ideologies, uh, would be a better way to live than the freedom, the constitutional republic in which we live right now, and the freedom that we enjoy. And of course, I'm talking about Olympics, Olympic athletes turning their backs on the flag, and I'm talking about taking knees during the anthem, and I'm talking about calling. You know, the Black Lives Matter group that called the American flag a symbol of hate and oppression. So, Pete, when you know, you've got history here as well with your father. You've told us the story in Russia. The people who have survived and managed to escape, uh, you know, communism in, in oppressive, oppressive regimes around the world are the ones that we need to listen to the most to talk about what, you know, what people here are really, you know, misunderstanding about this. I think one of the things that, uh, if you talk to all manner of immigrants, especially those who've escaped repressive regimes in Eastern Europe, Vietnamese boat people, Cuban refugees, um, they recognize something that some on the left don't recognize, and that is we are the most privileged people around. When they talk about privilege, the United States of America and Americans are enormously privileged. And all these athletes that you see, the, the, the uh, media folks, the actors, and it, it's, it's extraordinary how ignorant they are of the advantages, benefits, and true privilege that they enjoy by being here in the United States and citizens of the, the greatest nation in the history of the world. And we see the contrast in Cuba. Now, now, keep in mind that we have a lot of politicians right now who are trying to propel us pell-mell into the same kind of socialist hellhole that we observe in places like Cuba and Venezuela. There's a reason why people get on rafts and come 90 miles across shark-infested waters to come to the United States, and it's not to be oppressed. It's not to be discriminated against. It's not to be racially marginalized. This is the most ridiculous lie that has been told in who knows how long. There have been a number of ridiculous lies out there. But this is a monstrous lie about the United States of America that the Democrats and the media, but I repeat myself, have been telling us for a number of years now, but it's been intensified in the last couple of years uh, with the Black Lives Matter movement, the CRT movement, and all these other ridiculous Marxist movements that will do nothing than visit upon the United States the same type of misery and oppression that we see people fleeing from. How many people do you know are fleeing the United States? These, these athletes and entertainers always promise that they're going to leave the United States when somebody they don't like gets elected, but they never do. They've got all the money in the world to do so. They could probably buy themselves magnificent estates in other countries if they wish to do so, but they stay in the United well, States. Well, not just, not just, the, not just the athletes and entertainers and celebrities. Just generally brown and black people. We are told that this nation is oppressive <laughs> to people who are brown and black. This nation is racist against people who are brown and black. They'll never get a fair shake. Uh, they'll never get opportunities here. This is what we're told. So why isn't there a mad rush at the border not to get in, but to get out? Why are black people fleeing to Mexico where they'll have a much better life than they do in this terrible racist society called the United States? Yeah, what Democrats in the media, but I repeat myself, haven't been able to distinguish apparently is virtually everybody who's clamoring to get in the United States are black and brown. You know, all these individuals coming to the United States don't come here to get oppressed or be discriminated against. What are they missing that apparently our elites understand better than they do? 
it's, it's an amazing dichotomy that we're seeing here. It's a completely a, a dissociation from facts and rationality, but we see it right now in the streets of Havana and, and a few other cities in Cuba. Of course, you know, there was a famous headline yesterday from the New York Times that said that Cubans are protesting or, you know, <laughs> talking about, uh, you know, freedom and other they're, anti-government. <laughs> yeah, they're shouting, they're shouting freedom and other anti-government slogans. Yeah, uh, you know, I'm sure, you know, I'll, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. That was just pure, uh, just a bad elocution on their part. But, it, you know, you can't help but think that, you know, Something kind of slipped through there that because everything else that they see seems to suggest that they believe that. Going back to the athletes and some of these others who think that the United States is a horrible place, you've seen the polls that show young Americans aren't very proud of the United States compared to those who are 40 and over. Um, and who can blame them if they're being told every single day? by the people who are supposed to inculcate them in the, uh, the, the history of the United States, the mores of the United States, etc., that this is a horrible racist country, but not to be proud of the United States of America. It's almost as if they landed in 2021 without any kind of understanding of what preceded it and any kind of comparison against not just other points in history, but other points in geography. Because Outside of the United States of America and those spheres that the United, of influence that the United States protects, the world still is a hellhole. And if it weren't for the United States of America, think about all the nations that depend on us and they go about their merry way, very blithely, you know, doing their, their thing, you know, uh, uh, making a living for themselves without having to be concerned about advancements by hostile powers because the United States of America stands there like a rock to protect them. But outside of that narrow group within the United States influence, the world is a hellhole. It really is. And even advanced countries like China, still an incredible hellhole economically for most of their people. I mean, they made tremendous progress at our expense because we're so stupid. We, we give them our technology by either letting them steal it with no safeguards or actually handing it to them. That's right. But nonetheless, almost every place else that, you know, uh, it can't depend on American influence or protection is bad news. But here in the United States of America, we spit on the flag. We want to change the flag. We turn our backs to the flag. By we, I mean, thankfully, it's still a small. No, I know what you mean. People. You probably the, saw the, the word that comes to mind here is privilege. These people have. They like to scream white privilege, white privilege. You people enjoy white privilege. The rest of us are kept down in the down in the gutter, etc. Because we weren't born white. Well, there is privilege in this country, Peter, and you know this. It's American privilege, not white privilege or black privilege. It's American privilege. And if you don't believe me, ask the people of Cuba who are waving an American flag who would be, give their lives or risk their lives anyway to get here to enjoy what we were born into, and that is liberty. We have American privilege, and they are willing to throw it all away with some romanticized version of Marxism that they want to bring about. Yeah, I wish we don't. Uh, this is a real indictment of our educational establishment that something that is so readily apparent and also something that is easily ascertainable, apparently is lost on many of our youth, that they have no clue about it. They are missing what happened throughout history. This always, Marxism, socialism, always ends, not just badly, that's an understatement, but horrifically. And yet we are trying to proceed 
in that fashion. In addition, no country, what, what's the old phrase that, you know, uh, a nation divided against itself cannot stand? Remember yeah, well, that? Uh, Lincoln, you know, Lincoln, said, Lincoln said a house divided against itself cannot stand. And, and it's right, exactly. Yeah, right. I, I, exactly right. Exactly right. And, you know, here we are, 150 years or more later, and we still, ha- we aren't teaching that lesson. It's a simple lesson. But what we're doing is just the opposite. Throughout our nation's educational institutions, K through 12, all the way through, you know, graduate degrees, and now into businesses, we are teaching division, division. The Chinese and the Russians are rubbing their hands together with glee. But I I kind of strayed away from the initial premise of the the whole issue that's going on in Cuba right now. Um, Notice who is remarkably silent. Uh, Many on the left, but those who would argue that we should be more like a Cuba, particularly the Ocasio-Cortezes, and I did see yeah. that Bernie Sanders did say something. He's got to. You know, he, yeah, yeah, but, look, but Peter, no he didn't say like anything. Of, he, he said nothing of substance. Here was his right. final statement here. After, after more than 36 hours, he find a guy who just literally a few years ago was praising Fidel Castro's Cuba and his regime, saying, you know, they have really high literacy rates down there, so all of the oppression and all of the dungeons and all of the political prisoners, it doesn't matter because they, they increased the literacy rate in Cuba. You remember that? Well, this is what he finally said after, uh, after 36 hours of this. All people have the right to protest and to live in a democratic society. I call on the Cuban government to re- to respect opposition rights and refrain from violence. It's also long past time to end the unilateral U.S. embargo on Cuba, which has only hurt, not helped, the Cuban people. That's all you got from Bernie Sanders. Not I demand that these people be given freedom. Not I demand and I condemn uh, the communist regime, which has kept them uh, enslaved essentially for the last 62 years. Nothing like that. Just everybody has a right to protest. And by the way, we should end the embargo on Cuba. It's unbelievable. That's Bernie Sanders' statement, Pete. Got a thick skull. As I said, there's no fool like an old fool. Uh, it's extraordinary that life's lessons are lost upon that man. But, you know, he spent most of his life in government, so what do you expect? Uh, anyone who's examined Cuba for any length of time, uh, you probably know and I know uh, refugees or, uh, you know, well, refugees from Cuba. Sure, yes, yes. And, uh, you know, if you want to see some of the greatest patriots in the world, look at the Cuban-American community. Look at any of those who have fled totalitarianism and they're the strongest defenders of America, whereas those who have enjoyed the privileges of the United States of America very often are the first ones to turn their backs. By the way, as an aside, one thing that you don't hear much from in the press is, you know, you saw, what's her name, Gwen Berry, for example. I mean, let's pause for a moment and think about that moron. I'm sorry to use a pejorative like that, but it's the most accurate description that I can give. Um, this is a person who is protesting against a country that is giving her the opportunity to represent it in the Olympics. It is so oppressing her that it's putting her on the world stage. This person has absolutely no clue what she's talking about, none whatsoever. She, she is... Let me calm down. I get a little excited about these kinds of things. I do, I think, I do too. 
I do too, Pete. Uh, anyway, I, I let, mean, me, let me let me let me let you collect yourself here for, because that's a good reason for me to say we have to break. It's ten twenty one anyway. Collect yourself there. We'll come back and talk more about this. By the way, uh, the person who told me that you were speaking tomorrow night just messaged me back and said sorry. It's actually Thursday night. You're speaking to the East Side GOP. So just so you know, I'm I'm here to do your secretarial work for you here, Pete. Um, so yeah, Thursday night you'll be speaking to the East Side GOP in Highland Heights. All right, let's take a time out now. We'll come back with Chris and I right after this. Okay, 1025. We'll come right back now to Peter Kersenow. We've got Pete for another segment after this. Pete, I want to let you finish your thought there about you were getting a little fired up about Gwen Berry. I do, too. The U.S. women's soccer team did it again, by the way. All but two members knelt during the national anthem. They're wearing the word, the letters U, S, and A on their backs. They are wearing the colors, yet they are disrespecting and denigrating a flag that people in oppressed countries like Cuba fly as aspirational that they wish that they had... Uh, uh, you know, that they wish they lived under. And uh, go ahead and pick it up where you are. Yeah, and a flag that so many thousands of Americans have bled and died for, a flag that represents hope and freedom for virtually every person across the world. You know the old saying, it comes in different iterations, and you hear it from a lot of refugees that when they saw the American flag, first of all, when people come to the United States, many of them, you know, still come into Ellis Island, they see, or, or New York, and they see the uh, Statue of Liberty, and they see the United States flag, they start breaking down in tears, for good reason. They understand the difference between oppression and liberty. That apparently has escaped many of our elites, and unfortunately, so many of our young people. Uh, they understand that. And how many times have you heard the, the phrase, and it's true, that when oppressed people whoever may be engaged in war or wars of liberation, when they see the American flag crest a hill, they feel safe. They feel as if now we will enjoy liberty. And everyone, when they, when they see a flag, what flag do they want to see if they are oppressed? They want to see the American flag. They don't want to see the Chinese flag coming over that hill. They don't want to see the Russian flag coming over that hill. The one flag that gives them hope and solace is the American flag. And yet we have people in this country who enjoy privileges not afforded to 99% of people throughout history will spit on their flag and turn their backs to it. It's a failure to some extent of education. It's a failure on many of our parts. We should be out there forever proclaiming the greatness of the United States of America. And it's important. It's important to do so. I know, you know, years ago it became fashionable, especially starting in the 60s, to proclaim that, you know, we shouldn't be patriotic about the United States of America. You know, we shouldn't be jingoistic about the United States of America. And so many of our elites bought into that notion for reasons that are almost inexplicable. But right now we have so many of our elites who don't have an allegiance to the United States of America. They have an allegiance to their little uh, uh, sliver of um, privilege and class, and that is, you know, you, and I'm not simply referring to tech oligarchs and others, but many people in the educational establishment, I don't want to paint a broad brush with educators, I mean, there's so many fine educators, but many in academia, for example, many of our um, 
uh, high-tech business elites, and you know who these players are, they seem to have an allegiance to their class as opposed to allegiance to their country, not realizing that but for the freedoms and protections of the United States of America, they wouldn't exist. They couldn't exist. You look at some of the billionaires who are currently in prison in China, and they've confiscated their wealth. You know, that wouldn't happen most likely in the United States of America, but, you know, for, for reasons we can go into. <laughs> but but, but, but the, the bottom line here, Bob, is one of the more heartening things after all of that is that when you look at some of the polling data, we tend to hear from media types about how, you know, the young people and others are turning against America, the United States flag, capitalism, et cetera, et cetera. Defund the police is now, you know, such a big deal. Uh, but when you look at ordinary Americans, you've seen some of the polling on this. Just to take defund the police. First of all, you saw what happened in New York. Who won the mayor's race there? That's right. a pretty good indication. But here's where the whole notion that the left thinks that minorities, for example, are in favor of defunding the police because they think the minor- that uh, minorities are oppressed by police. There is polling. I've seen three polls now, and all each poll varies, but minorities are the least likely to support defund the police efforts. When you look at the polling data, I saw one poll where 77% of blacks opposed defunding the police versus, I don't recall what the exact figure was for whites, but it was something less than that. So another poll that was at 80% of blacks opposed to defunding the police. But who gets the attention? You know, the Al Sharptons of the world and these other idiots who like stirring the pot. These are the folks who get the attention because they are the promoters of the Democratic Party. And as a result, the media gives them the attention. So you get this. And and ironically and tragically, Peter, they are the ones who are responsible for the loss of black lives. They're the ones who scream black lives matter. And they're the ones responsible. The reason 80 percent of black people oppose defunding police is because they're not dumb. They know that the police are their best friends in their communities because that's where the most violent Violence happens, and the most victims, or the the highest number of victims, by a massive disproportionate number, are black people. Uh, so, you know, Al Sharpton and those who want to defund police don't care about black lives at all. I'm going to jump in there, Pete, and stop you so that we can take our time out for news. We'll come right back and talk more about crime in America, the surging crime rates in Democrat-run large urban center cities. We'll talk more more with Chris and I right after this. sides to every story there's the mainstream media side and then there's the truth you are experiencing the truth the bob france authority on am 1420 the answer 1037 now as we continue our friend peter kersenow is still with us as we talk about uh well, we're going to pivot now into full-on violent crime, and why not? Because so many of America's largest cities have indeed pivoted to full-on violent crime. Pete, this is um, this is Raymond Lopez, who is the alderman for Chicago's 15th Ward, talking on Fox News about the extraordinary increase in, uh, in uh, gun violence. Notice was missing from the president's declaration and from everyone's comments, including our superintendent, was accountability. Holding criminals, those gangbangers, those who are rooted and committed to violence, accountable for their actions. That was not 
mentioned in the tweet, in the press release. And I'm so glad to hear somebody in a, in a position of authority, an elected official, in this case an alderman, say what I have been saying about the rising crime uh, rate, uh, violent crime rate in this country. Since the defund the police movement started, even before defunding the police, just the handcuffing police by way of consent decrees and other things that made police back off through the you know the proverbial uh, Ferguson. It's not even proverbial; it's real. It's uh, the literal per, uh, Ferguson effect. Um, everybody is talking about gun violence, Peter Kirsten. Now, everybody in the Biden administration and on the left side of the spectrum are talking about gun violence. We've got to do something about gun violence, gun violence, gun violence, gun violence, as if guns are rising up out of the, off of tables left in homes and, and, and out of people's holsters or the backs of their pants and firing uh, indiscriminately themselves. Uh, you know, these are, you know, these are, are inanimate objects. There's no such thing as gun violence. There's thug violence. There's gang violence. There is criminal violence. And what they use to commit that violence is the guns. This alderman said what needs to be said. When are we going to start dealing with the problem of criminals, not dealing with the problem of guns? Because all new gun laws do, as we know, is it puts law-abiding people who don't break the law with guns, put them in a severe disadvantage if they ever encounter a violent criminal at their doorstep. Your thoughts? Yeah. Uh, it's a dodge. First of all, let's look at Chicago. We have Lori Lightfoot, who constantly goes on, as you've just indicated, about uh, you know the prevalence of guns, and uh, you know we need federal gun laws to be strengthened. We need more gun laws here, there, and the other place. Chicago has some of the strongest and strictest gun control measures in existence. What gave the game away is when Lori, I call her Lori Lightweight, gave a speech about guns and how all this violence is being fueled by the prevalence of guns. And she said, you could go just across the border into Indiana and get all these guns, and they bring them back into Chicago, which tells you right there, it's not about the guns. It's about the people who are getting the guns. Because apparently in Indiana, which has tons of guns all over the place and doesn't have the strict gun control laws of Chicago, uh, somehow people aren't getting killed at the same rate as they are in Chicago. That tells you right there how ridiculous the whole notion of gun control and the pivot to gun gun control constantly on the part of progressives, as opposed to all these other features where you can draw an almost direct line from something, a, a policy that is promoted by progressives to an increase in crime, such as defund the police, such as so-called bail reform, such as the installation of prosecutors who are more than happy to release on bail violent offenders, but go after people for things that are process crimes. One of the things that I noticed was missing from... Sorry about that, Pete. Continue. But, but, but all of these elements that uh, progressive politicians use that directly result, you can almost draw a direct line between the imp- implementation of one of these policies and to a spike in crime that is it, it, it prodigious. Uh, among other things, you've got um, a focus, which is another dodge, on guns and gun crimes, which is horrific, of course. We see homicide spikes of approximately 25% across the country. In certain cities, they're up 200 to 300%. But crime is more than homicide. And many of the crimes that we're talking about are being committed without a gun. When Joe Biden is out there talking about gun control, he's focused on, obviously, homicides and crimes committed with guns. But they're 
90% of crimes are committed without guns, and yet we still see an increase in those types of crimes. Right. Crimes like aggravated robbery and rape. We've seen how many videos now, Bob, of scores of people running into stores and coming running back out with them. Not one of them has a gun, at least a visible gun, and they didn't use a gun in the commission of the crime. They just went in there and looted the stores. And we see that over and over again. Walgreens and other chain stores Particularly are in places like San Francisco, Pete, where, exactly. um, where they, they, they've decriminalized shoplifting. If you steal something, I think, or, or, or a number of items, if the... If the value of the items is below $950 or something like that, they won't pursue you, and they won't even charge you. And so all of these stores are forced to suffer the losses, obviously, of their inventory, and also to close their doors earlier, because obviously, as the sun goes down, not that that's stopping any of them in broad daylight either, but they're having to shorten their hours just to kind of cut their losses, because they are essentially saying, we're not going to waste our time dealing with petty crime. And, and, and what that means, of course, is somebody can go in there and steal $500 worth of stuff five times you know and as long as they don't do it all at one time then it's not going to be pursued so that's the 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 you know the the green lighting of of crime that uh, that the left has done in cities like that and green lighting is a good way of putting it they've pretty much said okay do whatever you want to do and these prosecutors such as in san francisco you've got the infamous chase of boudin who thinks that you know they shouldn't pursue what he calls lifestyle crimes lifestyle crimes these people are insane and that's why we have insanity in places like that. That's why 17 Walgreens have just moved out just, you know, in the last year. They're gone because they know that there is a tax associated with being in places like San Francisco that do what you just indicated, permit looting up to $800 per person. And as you know, they work in shifts. A lot of these guys will go into a Walgreens or other stores throughout San Francisco. They will loot the place. They leave. And then they wait a couple of days, go in again. Right. You know, that's their job. It's an incredible thing to see. And at some point, you know, people are throwing up their hands right now, but these are the same people who voted for these bozos, who voted for this. They thought that, my goodness, cops are bad. You know, the right wing is bad. All these people are bad. My goodness, all these privileged people are oppressing these poor folks in America. We should just let people commit all these crimes, which is the ultimate form of racism. If you think that that blacks, Hispanics, or others will simply, I mean, my goodness, you know, they can't help themselves. That's the ultimate form of racism. Oh, that's so big. That is, that is so big, Pete. I'm sorry. That is so huge, what you just said. They think that they are being... You know, virtue signaling, uh, their, their concern about the plight of African Americans and people of color, uh, because of the criminal justice system that disproportionately, uh, locks up, you know, black people. So in order to be nicer to black people and not lock them up as much, we're going to legalize shoplifting, which says that we believe black people are criminals. That is the ultimate form of racism to say that in order to keep black people out of jail, we'll, 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 we'll weaken the laws that would have put them in jail. We know we can't, they can't help themselves. That is so extraordinary what you just said. Yeah, precisely right. And that's what's happening throughout the country right now. And it's going to take a while for us if we can't put the genie back in the bottle. Um, we had, you know, a few years ago at the Civil Rights Commission, we had a hearing on bail reform. I don't remember the exact year it was. It may have been 2013, 2014. But uh, you have all these folks coming in, all these quote-unquote experts, you know, academics, so on and so forth, people who've studied these things. And they were talking about, you know, cash bail. And not to say that there aren't elements of the bail system that don't need to be adjusted or reformed. There's, you can always make progress. You can always make improvements. 
But I still remember one witness who said, for example, that no woman should be in jail. I mean, really believe that, said no woman should ever be in jail. And I'm thinking, what, what, what are you thinking? These people are saying just on their face insane things. But the idea was that we should either eliminate bail entirely or come up with some other system, more of an honor system, and let people out. And you're seeing that being implemented in many of these larger cities like Philadelphia, um, uh, Atlanta, and other places where we've got, in San Francisco, we've got prosecutors who are letting people out of jail who have committed horrific crimes. We're not talking about, you know, some of the petty crimes that maybe you could say, you know, having cash bail for a petty crime, somebody may lose their job because they can't get out. You know, maybe uh, you can look at something like that and decide how can you moderate that somehow. But they're letting the, the worst of the worst out who go on and then recommit or they go after the witnesses. It's, it's an extraordinary abdication of their responsibilities as law enforcement officials to allow these folks to continue what they're doing and to prey upon the innocent. But those are the remedies that progressives are talking about. That's what Joe Biden is talking about. Things We all predicted this. This does not require a criminal criminology degree. The average person on the street knew this was going to happen. And the only way we stop this is if the average person on the street decides to begin voting in a way that protects our communities. You have many of the most violent offenders getting out almost immediately in places like New York and Philadelphia without any true bail whatsoever, and they go on to recommit. At the same time, and I hate to keep beating a dead horse, we have people who have been in jail in Washington, D.C. since January 6th without any kind of a hearing. Nothing has happened. They are there without bail. And yet, if you look at the alleged crimes they've committed, they haven't killed anybody. Remember, the, no. the media has been telling all kinds of falsehoods and lies about they these folks. They still do it, too. Even after all of that stuff is being debunked, the only death, the only death involved it. there was Ashley Babbitt's. That was the only Precisely. death that day. They called it an armed insurrection, which was a lie. And, you know, the the, the whole narrative was false. And they're fixated on this. Every conservative I know condemned the takeover, the alleged takeover of the Capitol, a takeover that was implemented by security personnel who opened the doors for these folks in, in large measure. But everyone condemned it. But what the left has done is made this into, and it's using their own words, 9-11. It's, oh yeah, they're saying it's worse than nine eleven. They're saying it's the wor- It's it's literally worse than nine eleven. Uh, Three thousand people died on nine eleven. America was attacked, and they literally—not all of them, but many of them—are saying it's literally this was worse for this country than nine eleven was. Um, I think that Republicans, again, I think Republicans are being given several gifts politically. Now, this goes beyond politics, obviously. We're concerned about the United States of America. But unless we have a vibrant and smart Republican Party to push back against this stuff, the United States of America will be no more. So it's incumbent upon Republicans to seize these issues and run with them because it's the right thing to do. The issues related to crime and freedom in Cuba and all these issues, because the left talking about defunding the police and the lack and, and simply letting people out of jail who are committing horrific crimes, 
uh, implementing critical race theory throughout our schools. All of these things present some of the biggest weapons I've ever seen in terms of a political arsenal for Republicans. But it seems to me, even though there's some Republicans, some who are talking about these issues in a very effective manner, there are too few of them. And where are the Republican leaders? This should be 24-7, and not just because it's a political advantage, but most importantly because it's what Americans are right. interested in. It's what really concerns America, the, the rising crime rates, the complete catastrophe at the border, this spending that's out of control. Ninety percent of Americans who have a brain understand that this is unsustainable. This is going to crash and burn. And yet Republicans, and I understand the media is not friendly to them. They don't get the airtime. Democrats do. Same was true with the tech oligarchs. But, but they can do more than they're currently doing. And I blame, to a large extent, the leadership of the Republican Party, who is almost back to their go-along, get-along mode, where prior to Trump, where it's like, okay, we're not in favor of as much spending of the Democrats, but we'll pare down a little bit. No, stand on principle here. We are driving this country to ruin. Anybody who's been alive more than 30 years understands this, knows this. There are certain immutable truths, economic truths, criminal law truths, etc., that never, ever, I'm repeating myself, they never, ever change. But we seem to think that with the passage of time, somehow these immutable truths will change. Republicans need to get on this, get on it hard, and ride this to death because it's in the best interest of the American people and the United States of America generally. Peter Kirsten, now laying it out. Great stuff, Peter, as always. I want to remind people as we check your calendar, you will be speaking on Thursday, <laughs> Thursday, 7 p.m. at the Highland Heights Community Center at the East Side GOP meeting. Great group of people there. I know you're going to enjoy yourself. Uh, and so, Peter, thanks so much for your time this morning. We'll talk to you again next week. Thanks, Bob. All right, that's Kirsten Al again Thursday. And while we're on the schedule, just because I respect these people so much, I like to kind of help share these things. Um, Jack Windsor, our friend from uh, the Ohio Press Network and from WHK, as he is a state house correspondent for us, he will be speaking at the Ohio Freedom Fighters meeting, which is coming up tomorrow. That one will be tomorrow. I do know that. Um, and I'm looking for the location on this one. Yes, this is in Medina, 7291 Stone Road in Medina, tomorrow, 7 p.m. So Jack Windsor tomorrow on the trail and uh, Peter Kersenow on the circuit on Thursday at Highland Heights. All right, let's get a time out here and come back and wrap it up on AM 1420, The Answer. Okay, 10.56. Going to have to wrap this one up here. I'm going to try to squeeze in one call from John before I talk about Larry Elder to wrap. Uh, John, you're on the air. Go ahead, sir. Yeah, Bob. My wife has a cousin whose son married a woman from Russia who's living here in the United States. And he met her. She got over here because in Russia, everybody has to, as kids, you have to take an IQ test. And it determines what you do for the rest of your life, what your occupation is. Now, she she scored high, so she got on an exchange program to come over over here. And uh, she, she, you know, so, you know, she was, she was lucky. She says her kids speak Russian with an English accent and an Eng- and English with a Russian accent. Uh, that sounds about right. That sounds yeah, about right. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's uh, you know, and 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 the, God bless those people who are able to do that. Thanks so much for the call, John. That's exactly, you know, what so many in foreign countries that are living under totalitarian regimes uh, wish that they could come here, and they're willing to take tests. They're willing to show that they have worth, to show that they have value. This is maybe something they're required to do in their own home country, but um, I, I'll tell you what, I don't care what your a contribution is going to be if you value freedom you automatically have more uh more of a right to freedom than some of the people here who have it and who don't value it in other words i would do a person for person swap an american leftist an american democrat who hates our flag and believes this country is systemically racist and oppressive i'll trade all of them for an equal number of russians or cubans or uh, uh any from anywhere venezuelans i don't care if they, if they truly value this flag and value freedom then they are a brother or sister of mine i want to speak about uh, larry elder because uh he made the announcement last night maybe you heard it Larry Elder is going to run for California governor in the recall election on September 14th. This is such a big deal. Gavin Newsom has driven the state of California into the ground, in large part because that's what Californians voted for. But Larry Elder is going to try to step up and save that state. And I want to read his statement real quick. I'm running for governor because the decline of California isn't the fault of its people. Our government is what's ruining the Golden State. Our schools are closed to both students and their parents. Our streets aren't safe from rising violent crime or the disaster of rising homelessness. After the scandal and the scandals of Sacramento aren't going to stop on their own. It's time to tell the truth. We've got a state to save. In his uh, news story from Salem, he also said that he decided to enter his first campaign after witnessing California's out-of-control homeless crisis, spiking crime rates and looming water and power uh, shortages saying, I have common sense, I have good judgment, I was born and raised here, and I think I understand the state, but I know it's a long shot. Pete, or uh, uh, Larry Elder, it is not a long shot. You bring common sense to a state that lacks it sorely, and we are all going to support Larry Elder from here in Ohio. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you tomorrow.